Good morning, good morning, Rabbi Welcome to Breakfast in the Class. Breakfast in the Class today is dedicated <coughs> for the speeding completed of Fuash of Rabbi Nikhanafarki Khanabatsima Fega, and as well for Rabbi Ila Abad, Yaw Shimon Mazafortuna, and for Rabbi Haber Menachem Khana, Menachem Ben Khana. Uh, as well, the week is the, the Breakfast in the Class is sponsored by Dit Yossi Levi as the Sudaruda, and dedicated in honor of the wedding of their daughter, Shlomo Abrahams to Goldie Sion. May Hashem bless you both with Beracha, Shalom Bayi, Torah, Haim Aruchim, and Psorot toward this new chapter of your lives. From Laura and Mauricio Sion, Mazal Tov and Mabruk. Breakfast in the class also dedicated in loving memory of Mrs. Lily Safali and Shmad Leah And finally, the week of Kobe was sponsored by David E. Ash in honor of you and your substantial capacity to do good today and every day. Let's get cracking. My friends, I want to point out as uh, a way of introduction the special words of this pasuk. The pasuk is listing the generations, the families of Am Israel, and the pasuk says, These are Aaron, Moshe. These are the generations of Aaron and Moshe. So the commentators ask a very, very simple question. Toldot means the generations, the children of Moshe, of Aaron and Moshe. But then, after it lists, these are the children of Aaron and Moshe, it lists only the children of Aaron. It doesn't mention the children of Moshe. So what's going on? Now, there's two parts to this question. Part number one to the question is, why, is Moshe, why are Moshe's children not listed here? Part number two is, why does it, if it's going to mention only the children of Aaron, why does it mention these are the children of Moshe and Aaron, and then mention Aaron's children? So the question is, is a twofold. The commentators um, respond to this idea in two parts. The reason why they are called the children of Moshe is because, as the Gemara tells us, Kol ben Havero Torah. If you teach your friend's son Torah, Ma'alea Yelado, the Torah considers it as if you gave birth to that person. We find this expression in numerous places. Not only do we find it with, this, with regards to this, but the pasuk says about a person's rabbi that just like your father brought you into the world, your rabbi brought you into the world. They just brought you into different worlds. One brings you into the life of this world, and one brings you, says the Gemara, to life in the, in the next world, in the eternal world, from the Torah and the mitzvot that a person learns. However, so we understand why the children of Aaron are listed as also Moshe's children because they studied Torah from Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu was their primary rabbi. However, it doesn't explain to us why Moshe's children are not listed. And this is a, a wild idea, um, this concept. Uh, the Hatam Sofer responds to the second half of this question. He says as follows, that the reason why Aharon's children are mentioned is because they were his students in the study of Torah. But the children of Moshe, even though that they were his children, still they did not reach the level of the children of Aaron because they did not learn Torah from their father. They, they studied Torah, no doubt, but they must have studied Torah from one of the other teachers down the totem pole after Moshe Rabbeinu. And the question is, what is it and why is it that Aaron's children studied Torah from Moshe direct, and Moshe's own kids did not. Now, there's many answers that are offered for this question. 
How could it be that Moshe taught Aaron's kids but not his own? How could such a thing be? So one of the answers to this question is a very powerful yesod uh, that they say over in the name of, the, of Chazal. If you actually look for a source, you won't find it anywhere. It doesn't appear anywhere. The first time it's mentioned is in the Rishonim. And in the Rishonim, they quote, they say, Kayadua, like, like everybody knows, but it's, you won't find it in the Gemara, you won't find it in the Midrashim. The line is quite famous though. The line goes, the pitgam is, En Navi Be'airo. What does that mean? There's no prophet in his own city. In his own city. Yani, you're going to be the rabbi, the leader. You know, you grew up here, no one thinks that you have, you're anything. But you come from somewhere else, oh, you don't know the rabbi we just got. Right, this guy is the dip that you remember, you know, uh, you know, spilling soda on the floor, when he was a little kid. This kid is the one that stopped up the toilets, you know, with the toilet paper as a prank on Purim. You know, you're not relating to the guy as he is as an adult. Maybe that's one of the reasons. But the idea, there's no prophet in his own city. Sometimes a person needs to come from afar so that the people have that respect uh, for him. Now, but that idea is also expressed in other places. You know, such as an example of Avraham Avinu. Avraham Avinu is someone that we know. It says, He calls out in the name of God. And the people, the masses, they come to study Torah from him. They become connected to Torah. They do Teshuvah. They become converts to, to, to the Jewish way of life. Unbelievable what goes on with Avraham Avinu. And yet, when it comes to his own nephew, what happened? Lot. What happened to Yishmael? His own kid, he couldn't keep on the derech. He's going and teaching everybody else. One of the answers they give is, in Navi Bi'iro. A lot of time, a rabbi's children need to study from other rabbis. Because from their own father, it's difficult. And I think there's many, many reasons for this idea. One of the reasons might be a person who's a student, a rabbi, a, a leader, you need to be open, you need to be honest with that person. Sometimes it's difficult for a child to come to their father or to their mother and to admit their own faults. You know, as a little kid, it might be because you're afraid of getting punished. But even as a, as a child that grows older, some people will feel more comfortable sharing something, a problem, an issue that they need advice on, a failure. They'd be more comfortable sharing with their rabbi than they would be with their dad. Because it is the closeness itself that creates the, uh, the necessity for distance. It's heartbreaking for me to tell. If I told my father, it would break his heart. So what do they do instead? They come to the rabbi, they need advice. My friends, so, so one, you hope, or they go to another rabbi. You know, a rabbi sometimes have to switch. I'll take care of your kids, you take care of mine, right? Because he's not going to accept the musar from me, you know, as a dad. He doesn't relate to me as a rabbi, he relates to me as a father. And maybe he doesn't treat me or see me in that same way. A lot of times you find this, you know, I mentioned this before, that, you know, you have kids that they, have, they, they go to get mentored in business and they go to other people. They come back, they're like, you don't know, I went to him. He, you know what he told me? He told me this piece of advice. And the father's like, he told you this piece of advice? 50 times I told you. Remember when you were this old, that old? The guy never took it from his father. Why? Because he, this one is, don't tell me how to run my business, dad. One is, I'm going to this business titan. I, his father, might be a big, bigger business titan than the guy he got mentored by. Yeah, but it's my dad. It's a different, it's a different thing. It's a different relationship. So too, the children of Aharon, of Moshe, says the Khatam Sofer, uh, they did not study from Moshe whilst Aharon's children do. But Why? 
he adds a different point, and he says as follows. There are many times when a person, a rabbi, a communal leader, a person in the, in the world of business, you know, they might uh, be doing a tremendous amount of work, and they're busy keeping the whole company up. They're busy teaching Torah, taking care of the needs of the people, president of the, of the, of the, community, of the community, of the synagogue, whatever it might be, and they're very busy dealing with everybody else's problems. But when it comes to their own children, they're too busy to have to deal with the nitty-gritty of what's going on in their own families. And my friends, in such a time, the only children that are going to have, that are going to be able to get this from their parents, are the children that make that extra effort. Now I want to share this. There's a very beautiful teaching that we have with regards to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You know, the Torah tells us, the Gemara relates, that God says, Yisa Hashem panav elecha, God will lift His face to you. The word Yisa Hashem Panav, we translate it, lifting his face. But in the parlance of the Torah, Masofanim doesn't mean lifting your face. You know what Masofanim means? It's a euphemism. It means, in English, showing favor. So God will show the Jewish people favor. Masofanim. Is there really favor that, God, that, that the Jewish people find in the eyes of God? Doesn't the Torah itself say that you should not let people find favor in the eyes of a judge? So how could God show favor to the Jewish people over the other nations of the world? Answer the Gemara something unbelievable. What does the Gemara answer? Gemara says as follows. God says, it's not that I show them favor. I told them in the Torah to say Birkat Amazon when they're full, they have a full meal. If a guy comes and eats enough of a kezayit of bread, Right, or kibesa, depending. Right, he eats that smaller amount of bread. They're coming to say berkat amazon to give me blessings. So I told them only if they had a full meal. But these Jews, they want to do the mitzvot so much. Look at what they're doing. He says, "There's no masofanim," says the Gemara, because I'm not showing them favor. They made the effort to come closer to me. You have some families, unfortunately, that are torn apart by the fact that one of the children feels. Like the father is showing them favor. The father always trusts them, always gives to them, always etc., etc., etc. And many times, part of the reason why the father favors one of the children is not because the father prefers one over the other, but rather that's the child that invested in the relationship with his father. That's the kid that walked his father to the office. That's the kid that spent time with him in the synagogue. That's the kid that, you know, spent weekends, as many weekends as he could. So the one that invested in the relationship winds up getting the most. That's what the Khatam, that's what the uh, Khatam Sofer explains with regards to the children of Aaron. They made the extra effort to come and study by Moshe. So therefore they're called his children. The other ones didn't know. His own children didn't make that extra effort and therefore they did not get, the, they did not merit to study by, by Moshe Rabbeinu. My friends, I think there's a wider lesson here than just teaching Torah. And this is really what I want to drive home, the point I want to drive home to you today. You know, uh, oftentimes you'll see a kid in the back, and I said, and the kid's reading from the Sefer Torah. You see a kid and he's studying, and you see everyone, wow, look at this kid. This kid, you don't know. He's such a special kid. He's such a wonderful kid. You look at how he reads. Look at how he does this. Look at how he does that. And I think that there's sometimes that we're giving the credit of those successes to the child and his makeup. And in fact, what we're ignoring is that this is a kid that their parent, the parents really invested in. 
And let me explain what I mean by that. What do I mean when I say that they invested in him? Sometimes it's as simple as the fact that the kid, the father's sitting home and he's doing the homework with his child, that the kid sees that Torah is important to my dad. Sometimes it's as simple as that. I still remember when I was growing up, my father should live and be well. Like they say. My father would try and do homework with me from Lakewood Khaira. There wasn't a religious Sephardic school at the time. So they had, we had to go every day. We drove to Lakewood at the time. All right. I come home. How do they teach us Gemara? How do they teach us Chumash when we were five, six, seven years old? They used to teach it to us, translate the Pasuk in English and then in Yiddish. So this is what I came home with. You know, uh, My father's looking at me like this. My father's a rabbi. He can't do first grade homework with me. I used it to my advantage. If I ever didn't know the translation of the word, I just said random words. My father's like, very good. Well done. <laughs> Any word that I didn't know, I substituted schnitzel. Like, you know what I mean? Was, uh... So either way, it was a get out of jail free card. But, but what I saw, it's not that I, what I gained from that is not that my father helped me with the homework. He didn't help me at all. He didn't even know what I was talking about. But the fact that it was important enough for my father to sit down, it illustrated it, built into, baked into my bones, that this is something that is very important for my father. You know, I was, um, I was reading just the other day an unbelievable uh, story that's brought with the Ridbaz. The Ridbaz wrote a tremendous commentator on Torah, a tremendous uh, a Torah scholar. Anyway, one day he's in the Beit Knesset in, uh, in Israel. He's in the Beit Knesset and he's crying. A man walks up to the rabbi afterwards. He says, Rabbi, he says, I, I saw you were crying today. I know that today he says it's Kaddish for your father. I know that this is when you say Kaddish. I noticed that you said Kaddish, you know, when, when we prayed. But why were you crying? You know, your father passed away over 50 years ago. He died when he was uh, 80 years old. 50 years later, you're crying for your father? What's the deal? And the rabbi said, I'll tell you the truth. He says, today I was walking to shul, to Knis, and it was very, very cold. And I'm already a rabbi, I'm an, old, I'm an older man, I'm not young. It was very cold, I was nervous, I would get sick. So I started to turn around to go back home. You know, it's this cold, I'm gonna get sick, I'm patur. You know, sakana maybe even. I have to look out for my health, I'm not a young man. I was gonna walk back and all of a sudden I stopped in my tracks. When I was a young boy, so my father recognized that I was, uh, that I was particularly prone and skilled at learning Torah and he decided that only the best milamed, only the best teacher was going to do for me. There was an excellent milamed, a Torah teacher, in the Talinev schools. You had to pay the guy to study with your child. The best teacher actually lived in the vicinity, and he agreed to take me on as a student. My father paid him uh, a, a big coin, whatever it was, the coin at the time. He had to pay him. It was money we didn't have, but it was very important for my father. My father was a uh, person who used to work with bricks, etc., etc., a bricklayer in the community. And one day, the, the uh, Milamed sent me home with a note saying, listen, you owe me already for three months back rent, three golden, whatever the, the coin was called, I think it was called golden. You owe us three, three coins going back. This is my parnasa. I can't teach your child if you can't pay me. I have to feed my wife and children. Anyway, things were really, really tough. Uh, it was, uh, you know, they didn't have that much money. And uh, Ridbaz overhears his father and mother having a conversation. What are we going to do? The, the teacher's not going to teach him. 
So she says, but we have no money. What do you, we have no, what are we, how are we going to? Anyway, the father said, listen, I have a crazy idea. He says, I was in synagogue today, and someone was uh, asking, one of the wealthy men in the community <clears throat> built a new home for his son, and he needed a, a, a fireplace, a furnace, to be able to keep the house warm. Now, um, there's a shortage right now of bricks. No one can build. So he asked if anyone knew, you know, <coughs> if anyone knows of someone that could get bricks for a fireplace, he's willing to pay for anyone that could build his son a fireplace in his home, six golden. He says to his wife, I thought maybe I should take apart ours and use the bricks to be able to build them and we'll have this money. The wife says, it's a great idea. So my father took apart our furnace, brick by brick, took it over to this fellow's house, installed it in his son-in-law's new home, and built him that furnace from the bricks that came from our house. All winter long, he says, we shivered, we froze with blankets, but we were happy because we knew that I was getting the very best education that money could buy. That next day, I gave him three golden for back pay, and three golden for the next three months. He says, I still remember that cold. And this morning when I was walking to the synagogue and it was so cold, I almost turned around. I suddenly felt, I remember the last time I felt this cold was when I was a little boy in my father's house and we had no heat because my parents taught me how important it was <clears throat> to study Torah. And I thought to myself, how could I turn around? How could I not go to shul? How could I not justify the sacrifices that they made, something that was so important to my father? This is a Torah scholar of the caliber, you know, that he was someone that taught Torah to all of Am Yisrael. But if I ask you, who made this child? I don't mean physically, but what created this Torah excellence? Was it this man, the rabbi himself? I don't think so. Was it his teacher, the Melamed? I also don't think so. What created this relentless Torah scholar that was willing to study and to do the right thing through thick and thin was a misirut nefesh that he saw in his father. And that's why, and mother, and that's why my friends, he says, that's why today, this is why I mentioned father, when I'm saying Kaddish for my father, he says, um, uh, as I was in the Bet Knesset, I was crying to think of how much I owe uh, my father and mother, and I had to say Kaddish and uh, memorialize everything that they gave me. My friends, you know, one of the things I like to say is that even according to the Khatam Sofer that you have, Aharon's children studying from Moshe, you know, one of the things I just want to drive home is that a lot of times we feel like our children are not listening. Our children are not learning from us. Exactly what Khatam Sofer says. The rabbi of the Ridbaz was not his father. It was the Milamed. But in some ways, the one that taught him the importance of Torah, that pushed him to never turn back from a freezing cold day, was not his rabbi. It was his dad. They may not be learning from you, but they sure as heck are watching you. And oftentimes, it's only far later in life that the child recognizes and draws on one of the life lessons that they have from their parents. It is the way of children not to recognize greatness in their own parents. It's hard to see greatness in someone who's just, who's in your circle. 
That's why they say Rabbi Akiva's students, they didn't have kavod for one another. Why? Because they were so close, they were one group of people. In fact, it was their rabbi that always taught You love everyone, you're close with everybody. Sometimes that closeness breeds contempt. Familiarity goes the line, breeds contempt. So my friends, um, recognize and think, be savvy. Figure out ways to be able to drive home that importance, the importance of Torah, mitzvot, this, that. You think about it for a minute. One great action where there's a wedge on us, where you went crazy, you did this, you built your own, you flew in the, <coughs> you paid some guy to fly to New York, to fly back to a on vacation, to bring kosher food for the family. The kids will remember that you paid that exorbitant amount of money to go to get the kosher food for this. If your kids see you strap on, uh, what's it called, a gas tank and a flamethrower. I remember seeing this video. Uh, some Chabad rabbi was, you know, koshering a, 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 a grill in the backyard. Anyway, he's flamethrowing the thing. And I was thinking to myself, you know, for the amount of effort that they put it, just buy a new grate. How much does a new grate cost? Amazon will deliver it the next day. Prime, chalas. You have to have this guy over here, you know, torching the thing with Elon Musk's uh, flamethrowing. What is this? And then I thought to myself, you know what? Kids don't see Amazon packages. But kids will remember forever that you called a rabbi and he turned on a blowtorch that could have burnt the neighborhood down. And he sat in the backyard until the grate was glowing red. That's something the kids will remember. You know, oftentimes parents on vacations think, I want to make memories. Let's do something. What are you going to do? We're going to go scuba diving. You know, you think when you go on a vacation, you want to make memories. You want to have pictures. You want to be able to have an album. <coughs> when you went to Venice, or when you went here, or you went there. You know, these are memories for a lifetime. My friends, one destination you go to is called Venice. And there's another destination you go to which is called Torah. If you think of opportunities, and by the way, the more outlandish, wild, interesting, the occasion is the more it will have an impression that 50 years from now, on a cold day, the guy's thinking, I, should go, I shouldn't go to school today because it's too cold. He'll remember that. Even when he gets older, he will not turn away from it. Think of how to create memories. Memories that when your child in 50 years is thinking to themselves, how should I behave? He'll be able to recall, you know something? I'll never forget what my father said. I'll never forget the time that my father's brother did this, and this is how my father reacted. You're thinking of the machloket between you and your brother, but you're not realizing that if your kids see that you could fight with your brother and not talk to him over money, you can be sure that if there's a money issue between the brothers, your children, so the fight that you're willing to allow between you and your brothers and your brother will take root. Barmanan in your own children, brother against brother. Because they'll remember, what did Papi do? That's the opportunity we have to invest and to plant in our future, to be able to create memories for our kids. So I'm going to give you a little homework. And that homework is, if you could put, plant something in your children, in your children's children, which mitzvot, which behaviors, which practices, 
would be incredibly important to have your children be. This is something we do. You ever see that some families that when rabbis come from Israel, they stay in their house? You ever see that? Yeah? I remember there was a guy in the old rabbis always saying, I said, you know, it's so amazing. You know, you have rabbis staying in your house all the time. It's a big deal to have someone stay, they're in your face. They're, you know, you have to arrange the driver. Also, everyone in the house needs to kind of be aware the rabbi's staying here. The guy says, no, no, no. He says, they stay in the, I have a back house, yeah, and a little uh, uh, place that converted, its own place, its own entrance. They have their own privacy. I said, that's so amazing. He says, when I built my house, I remembered that my father always used to have rabbis over. And I thought that that's something that's so beautiful. I want to have that. I know if I ask my wife to have a rabbi every week in the summer and deal, she's going to kill me. So what did I do? I built, I made sure we were doing construction, that I built this place. Now again, everybody knows that's where you stay. What are his children going to do when they grow up? To them, it's going to be a normal thing to have, like the Mishnah says in Avot, that uh, the, the, the scholars should be, you know, welcome in your home. They should be b'nebetecha. Hashem should bless us. First of all, if we think of things that we want our kids to do, don't think of it like a genie, like a wish. And then ask yourself, what am I doing to ensure that that will be the memories that they have of me? Retrofit what you do in front of your children and grandchildren so that the result will be that the things you want them to have will be things that they saw growing up in your home. Baruch Amen.